0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us Personal Finance Show on Money, How It Works, How to Invest It, and How to Live Without Worrying About It. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 112. It's titled Our Retirement Depends on Robots. Around the year 2000, I attended the wedding of a friend who was a freelance illustrator. At the reception, there were a number of other illustrators sitting at our table. And at one point during the evening, the conversation shifted to a discussion of how the illustration business was changing. The previous decades had been good as there was ongoing demand for artistic work using pen and ink, watercolor, and oil and acrylic paints to illustrate books, magazine covers, and advertisements. But in the previous five years... There had been less work as hand on production techniques were being replaced by digital media. Meanwhile, a proliferation of stock illustration sites was putting downward pressure on artist rates. One illustrator at our table was particularly bitter about these industry developments. I asked, have you considered learning some of the new digital techniques? He made it quite clear he had not and he would not. Meanwhile, my newly married friend was busy learning how to illustrate using a digital pen and tablet. It's been a struggle, but in the past 15 years, he has continued to forge a career as a freelance illustrator specializing in marine life. But it's all drawing digitally. He co-founded a boutique publishing company with his brother and released an illustrated version of Jules Verne's classic 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Recently, I visited with a local artist about the continued evolution of the illustration business. He shared how one of his artist friends was making over six figures a year creating custom brushes for Adobe Photoshop. Photoshop brushes, and I didn't know this, allow artists to add effects and detail to the work without having to draw each individual element. Well, I mean, I've used Photoshop, but I didn't know that custom brushes existed. This local Artists also mention another illustrator friend whose primary income comes from running an online membership site and blog teaching others how to illustrate. He hardly ever takes illustration jobs anymore because he's spending so much time and, and, and doing so well with his membership site. Custom digital brush developer and online membership site producer are two jobs that didn't exist 15 years ago. Now, 200 years ago, most occupations that exist today weren't around, as 70% of the population worked in agriculture. Now, less than 1% of the populace are farmers. Kevin Kelly, in his new book, The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces that Will Shape Our Future, writes, When robots and automation do most of our basic work, making it easy for us to be fed, clothed, and shelter, then we are free to ask, what are humans for? Industrialization did more than just extend the average human lifespan. It led a greater percentage of the population to decide that humans were meant to be ballerinas, full-time musicians, mathematicians, athletes, fashion designers, yoga masters, fan fiction authors, and folks with one-of-a-kind titles on their business cards. Kelly continues, it is a safe bet that the highest earning professions in the year 2050 will depend on automations and machines that have not been invented yet. That is, we can't see the jobs from here because we can't yet see the machines and technologies that will make them possible. Robots create jobs that we didn't even know we wanted done. Back in episode 72, the topic was, will a robot Take over your job. This episode is a flip. It's more why we want robots and need robots to take over our job, particularly if we want to retire. There was a quote in episode 72 by Jeff Colvin in his book, Will a Robot Take Over Your Job? And it was and he asked the question, What are the activities that we humans? by our deepest nature, by the realities of daily life, will simply insist be performed by other humans regardless of what computers can do. And Kelly argues over time, less and less of those jobs will be there, that, that more and more will be automated, but that will create other opportunities, things that we can't even imagine. It is a much more hopeful vision than, than perhaps what I shared in episode 72. Now, my friend, and his name is John Pat- Patrick, you can look it up, and it'll be in the show notes, obviously, and or if you or remember my insider's guide, will already have sent you those show notes, as well as a summary article for this episode, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.net, or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to 44222, and, and you'll be able to get it sit up, set up or signed up that way. So John, my friend, as I mentioned, his illustrated version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it's an ebook. It costs $9.99 on Amazon Kindle. Now, ebook designer and publisher, which is now one of, of my friend's new job titles, that job didn't exist 15 years ago either. Well, one of the book's reviewers on Amazon gave it one star. And here's what the, the reviewer wrote. Quote, this is not good. It's not worth the money. There are plenty of other versions that are cheaper and better. Some are even free. He's correct. There's usually a free version of most things. If you search the internet for a specific book, one of Google's suggested search queries inevitably is going to be the title of the book and then the words PDF. And that's because... Tens of thousands of queries from readers looking for a free version of the book. And Google recognizes all these people are doing the search queries and so they make it a suggestion. Kelly writes The internet is the world's largest copy machine. The digital economy runs on this river of free flowing copies. We can't stop massive indiscriminate copy. Not only would that sabotage the engine of wealth, but it would halt the internet itself. Free-flowing copies are baked into the nature of this global communication system. The technology of the net needs to copy without constraint. The flow of copies, if, is inevitable. So if copies are freely available, then why would I have bought my friend's version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Or why did I buy Kevin Kelly's book? Because I want something better than free. I want to admire my friend's illustration. I I didn't even read the book, 20,000 Leagues. I just wanted to see his drawings. And I wanted to reward Kelly for sharing ideas that inspired me. And I'd gladly pay for both of those experiences. Kelly says... A universal law of economics says the moment something becomes free and ubiquitous, its position in the economic equation suddenly inverts. When a nighttime electrical lighting was new and scarce, it was the poor who burned common candles. Later, when electricity became easily accessible and practically free, our preference flipped and candles at dinner became a sign of luxury. There are, there are entire stores now dedicated to candles. We visited one in New Orleans in, in the garden districts. Kelly says, when copies are free, you need to sell things that can't be copied. And I look, there are plenty of free Adobe brushes on the internet. So how is it someone can still make a living creating and selling virtual brushes? Because of one thing that can't be copied, and that is trust. Artists are willing to pay for Adobe brushes from this particular gentleman whose name I don't, don't know, but that is making a living selling brushes because they trust him and they want to reward him for his efforts. What are some other things we're willing to pay for, even though they might be available for free? Well, right now, one of the, the most popular or the most popular show on Broadway is Hamilton. Hamilton it sold out through i believe january 2017 perhaps into next year they just raised ticket prices to $700 per ticket for the premium seats but to actually get a ticket you got to pay much more why is that you can i've listened to the soundtrack you can listen to that for free i'm sure you could probably watch a bootleg video of the show, yet people will pay a premium because they want the experience of being in the theater, watching the actors. In fact, there's even a higher demand now that the, the 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 lead actor in the I think he wrote wrote the the play, wrote the music is leaving in July. They want to pay for that immediacy, that embodiment, to be there live. People are willing to pay more or pay beyond, want some, they'll, they'll pay a premium if they can get something personalized. If it's the authentic version, they'll pay. Or if there's instructions that help them implement it. Perhaps the product's free, but they're willing to pay a service to help s- somebody to, to implement it. An example is open source software. Or perhaps they simply want to support the creator. Kelly writes, deep down, Avid audiences and fans want to pay creators. Fans love to reward artists, musicians, authors, actors, and other creators with tokens of their appreciation because it allows them to connect with people they admire. But they will pay under four conditions that are often not met. First, it must be extremely easy to do so. Second, the amount must be reasonable. Third, there is a clear benefit to them for paying. And fourth, it's clear the money will directly benefit the creators. Now, how I've set up money for the rest of the hub, I mean, that's what essentially it is. And members join partly because they would like to reward me for the things that I'm creating on the podcast. But they also join because it's easy to do so. They can put their credit card information in and they become a member. The amount I charge is reasonable. You can get it for less than $20 a month and much less if you sign up for the annual plan. There's a clear benefit. I'm helping individuals as a virtual mentor with their investing and providing guidance for their asset allocation and portfolio construction. I'm answering their emails. I'm doing premium podcast episodes answering their questions. And so there's some interaction there and there's some benefit. And it's clear the money is also benefiting me as the creator because I don't have a bunch of employees when somebody joins. Laprell and I use that to live off of. So that's the way it is. And people like to support. Today I've signed up for a webinar that I want to, to from Chris Brogan. It's $20. I support his work because he's taught me a lot. And I'm willing to sign up and, and pay twenty bucks to be part of a webinar to hopefully learn something. Creators should worry less about whether the work will be copied, because it will. And when I launched the Hub, I was worried about people copying, and I realized I shouldn't spend that much time. I shouldn't worry about it, right? If people want stuff for free, believe me, you can find it. That's not who I want to target. I want to target those that are willing to pay for something. Instead, creators worrying about people copying the work, they should focus more on creating a trustworthy and rewarding experience for those who want something better than free. Now, let's return to this illustration example. The ability to produce illustrations digitally, which, which took over the field in the late 90s and continued through 2010 and beyond, was a way to produce output much more productively. You could create more illustrations in less time because it was easier to make revisions and to fix mistakes. And if somebody wanted generic stock illustrations, you could get those... Immediately. But that led to greater productivity. Productivity increases is the key to economic growth. What is economic growth? Economic growth is a measure of the increase in a nation's outputs of goods and services. And the way that that grows over time is either have more people working harder and longer hours or you have more workers Or through productivity increases, leveraging technology and other innovations to produce more output of goods and services per hour worked. In other words, working smarter, not necessarily harder. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david. netsuite.com slash david. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Now, one of the ironies is despite this fear of robots taking over jobs, all the technological Innovations, productivity has actually been slowing, the increase in productivity. And there's been a, a lot of press on it in the last several months. In fact, the conference board estimates that for the first time in 30 years, productivity will actually shrink in the US this year. When we look over a longer term time frame, this is data from Ned Davis Research. The five-year moving average, so going back five years, the five-year moving average of the year-to-year change in productivity as measured by real non-farm output per hour, so what are they they producing per hour for non-farm workers, is only 0.5%. So it's averaged only 0.5% per year for the past five years. That's the lowest since 1983. We can also measure it by looking at the real GDP per employee, and that has also only grown 0.7% per year on average for the past five years. Now, this five-year moving average peak of output per hour peaked in 2005 at 3.5% growth per year. Now, we're almost flat at a zero percent Five percent. One of the controversies, well, is it, in fact, a mismeasurement? Perhaps we're not just – maybe we're just not measuring because it's, it's kind of a, co- a cognizant dissonance that somehow we have all this technology, but productivity is not increasing. Well, there's a recent study by David Burns, John Fernald, and Marshall B. Reinsdorf that was published by the Federal Reserve. It was titled, Does the United States Have a Productivity Slowdown or a Measurement Problem? They concluded it was indeed a slowdown, that it was not a measurement issue, and there's other data that supports that. One of the interesting quotes from the study is, many of the tremendous consumer benefits from smartphones, Google searches, and Facebook are conceptually non-market. Consumers are more productive in using their non-market time to produce services they value. These benefits do not mean that market sector production functions are shifting out more rapidly than measured. In other words, that doesn't mean that the market is becoming more productive. It's just people are becoming more productive in their non-market time, in not producing market goods and services, but but creating things. And so they say that even if consumer welfare is rising from these non-market activities, and then they go on to say still gains in non-market production appear too small to compensate for the loss in overall well-being from slower market sector productivity growth. What are they saying? (laughs) They're saying that we're having more fun in our leisure time, but the slowdown in productivity is having an overall negative impact on our well-being. And why is that? Well, slower... Productivity growth means slower wage growth. Janet Yellen, in a speech, she's the chair of the Federal Reserve, July 2015, said, over time, sustained increases in productivity are necessary to support rising household incomes. One reason wages have stagnated is because productivity is not increasing. And why isn't productivity increasing? Well, Bart Van Ark, who is the chief economist at the, at the conference board, the, the, or, the organization that indicated productivity could fall for the first time in 30 years, he was quoted in the Financial Times as saying, Last year, it looked like we were entering into a productivity crisis. Now we are right in it. Companies really need to invest seriously in innovation. It is time for companies to move on their productivity agenda to turn this story around. Lack of productivity growth is due to slow investment in technology, equipment, and infrastructure. When you think about it, the the, the economy has a a pool uh, of capital, technology, capital base, so technology and other automation tools Building infrastructure, which is always like most things decaying over time that needs to be reinvested in to, to keep up and maintain, but additional investment to increase the productivity of the workers. When we look at we can measure it, so we can look at what was the investment relative to o- the overall output produced. So what was the gross gross private domestic investment as a percent of GDP? The cyclical low was in 1991. And then as to the technology started taking, productivity investment increased. So by the year 2000, when I went to that wedding, gross private domestic investment was 20% of GDP. Then during the dot-com bubble bust, it dropped during that recession. It dropped to 17% in 2001 and then rebounded gradually until it reached 20%. In the first quarter of 2006. But during the Great Recession, it plummeted to 12.4% of GDP. The lowest it had been in going back 50 years or more. It has slowly rebounded, but it peaked in the first quarter of 2015 at 17%. In other words, it peaked at the trough from the last cycle. And then it has since fallen to six and a half, sixteen and a half percent in the first quarter of 2016. So the question is, why aren't companies investing? Well, one theory was put forth recently in the Financial Times about a year ago by the economist Andrew Smithers, who is a well-thought-of economist and does a lot of writing on valuations in the market, but also the economic principles. And he says the reason companies aren't investing is due to the practice of paying executives huge bonuses to reward short-term success. He writes, how much a company invests is a decision for its managers, and the way they approach that decision will depend on their incentives. That is what incentives are for. It is striking, therefore, that in the U.S., investment spending by unquoted companies, in other words, companies that are not private companies, those that aren't publicly traded. So investment spending by unquoted companies is twice that of quoted ones, though the two groups are about the same aggregated size. The incentives given to managers of listed companies appear to have been a crucial cause of low investment. What other evidence do we have that companies aren't investing in new technology, and other productivity-enhancing measures? Well, the very, very low interest rates. As I was recording this episode today, there was a news story that bond yields in Germany went negative for the first time. The 10-year government bond in Germany went negative. Interest rates, the 10-year Treasury bond in the U.S., is now down to 1.6%. If they're with interest rates so low, if there was a huge demand for more investing or companies were investing more, that would one accelerate economic growth and push up interest rates, which gets back to the point why we need, why our retirement depends on robots. If companies aren't going to invest, then economic growth is going to be slow. That means wages will not grow, the wages we need in order to save for retirement. It means interest rates will remain low so what we can earn on investing in fixed income and other bonds will be low and what we can earn on our stock investments will be low because corporate earnings growth will be low because the economy is not growing very quickly. And so we need companies to invest. Now one of the other interesting points is maybe we're just not maybe the investments that that is taking place were not working smarter. There was a an article by Edward Luce, or maybe Luce, L-U-C-E, is economist for the Financial Times. He might be really famous, and I just mispronounced his name. I don't know. I, I just I like this quote. He says Productivity is calculated by dividing the value of what we produce by how many hours we work. And and that was the definition I gave you. But recent studies and common sense says our iPhones chain us to our employers even when we are at leisure. We may thus be exaggerating productivity, growing the growth by undercounting how much we work. Think about your own employment. Are you working harder now than you ever were, even though you have all these tools? And why is that? Is it, is it because there's more bureaucracy in your company? And so we're just spinning our wheels more doing things, but not actually producing more economic value in terms of goods and services and value added? Here's the crux of the matter. The only way to increase productivity, which will lead to higher wages and will lead to better investment returns, if companies invest in automation and robots that cause a loss of jobs, in the hope that it will create new jobs. Now, that takes a leap of faith. When you think about the the acquaintance I met at the wedding, who was just very upset that his, his industry... Because he, he liked to draw by hand, and, and he, he was very, very talented. But he was fighting against the trends. He did not want to adapt. And, and as a result, I don't know how it turned out, but I, I, hopefully he, he made the jump to digital because that would have made him more productive. But those that didn't probably lost a lot of business and had to go find something else to do. But as as illustration became more digital, it created new jobs that people hadn't even thought of, such as custom Adobe brush designer or running a membership site online teaching individuals how to illustrate or starting your own publishing company to share your illustrations in electronic books. Those are all jobs that were not even considered 20 or 25 years ago, that were made possible by essentially robots, right? <laughs> by robots, some, some technology that automates a task. Kevin Kelly writes, this is not a race against the machines. If we race against them, we lose. This is a race with the machines, You will be paid in the future based on how well you work with robots. We need to let the robots take over. Many of the jobs politicians are fighting to keep away from robots are jobs that no one wakes up in the morning really wanting to do. Robots will do jobs we have been doing and do them better than we can. They will do jobs we can't do at all. They will do jobs we never imagined even needed to be done. And they will help us discover new jobs for ourselves. New tasks that expand who we are. They will let us focus on becoming more human than we were. It is inevitable. Let the robots take our jobs and let them help us dream up new work that matters. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net, as I mentioned. And if you would like to support the show... As a patron, you can join the the MoneyForTheRestOfUsHub.com. I've already described what's there. Tools to help you be a better investor, to help you manage your retirement portfolio, including asset allocation tools such as market assumptions, education, model portfolios. It's simple to join. The money comes right to me and to my family, and you get a benefit. You get value for the money that you're sharing with me. And you can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.